Welcome to Wisco Dice. Hey, yo, folks, I am your host, the Conzie with the most. Today, I will be joined by the illustrious crew of Brian, the Stark Raving Mad, Justin, the Meeples Champion, Matt, the Ghost Walker, and of course, Suzanne. Today is July 24th, 2023, and on today's episode, we will cover the Batmatch 350, which was played way back in May. We'll also catch up on all of the board games we did and a board game day for Justin's birthday. We'll also catch up on the news, games we've been playing, and all of the other good stuff. So with that, let's get ready! Woo! I think you need to leave that in the show. <laughs> the beep, 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 next game! Meow. <laughs> Who needs digital sound effects? Just exactly. We just have that. <laughs> <laughs> You don't need you don't need those like fancy books for kids that make the animal sounds if you've got a Ben. You don't need digital sound effects if you got a Ben. Oh, every family holiday is always me making animal noises. <laughs> oh. And for our next game, I should make some animal noises because it is Arc Nova, or as we commonly refer to it around here, the zoo game. From Capstone Games. Yes, that's right. Arc Nova, the one that has blown up all over the place. There's copies everywhere. It's available. It was really hard to get when it first came out. I kind of stumbled into getting it. Uh, but uh, I think everybody almost. I just, we, other than you, Brian, we got to get a we got to get a chance to get you a chance to play this game as well. It does have a little bit of longer play time at between 90 to 150 minutes. I think that's probably realistic after you've played it a few times that first play to playthrough or two you better just book three to four hours uh, unless you're playing with experienced players because uh, it can be a grind if everybody at the table doesn't is playing it for the first time uh, to kind of pick it up and learn it does play one to four players is kind of that standard traditional board game count um, and as i kind of hinted at all of us but brian have actually played this game before What's awesome in this game is that besides the fact that you're playing a, a, and building a zoo and collecting monkeys and lions and tigers, oh my, it is the fact that it has this river kind of mechanism for action selection. And what I mean by that is you have, there are five different actions you can take in the game and each action is represented by a card. And when you take that action and fully resolve it, when it's your turn, it goes to the beginning of the line and everything else pushes to the right. So it kind of, you have this constantly flowing action selection. And, and when you take that action, you say, if you take that action from the third spot instead of the fifth spot, that it is a it is a considered a strength three action, so it probably doesn't resolve as well or isn't quite as strong as you as if you were taking it in the in the strength five spot, right? So you're you're constantly trying to balance. Do I want to wait and try to get that action over the way over to the five spot to take the stronger version of the action, or hey, I do I need to take that action now because. I'm not going to get, I, I, I need to be able to have building an enclosure or 
I I really need to take that association action, or hey, I don't just don't need to take it as a strength, the full strength action. I just need to take it where it is right now. So there's this constant kind of interesting little balance that you're doing there, while at the same time going through this giant card stack of different types of animals, and they're all every single card in the game is a unique, different animal, uh, or sponsor, or conservation project. That you're trying, that you're either trying to accomplish, or you're trying to gain sponsors, or you're trying to populate your your zoo with these animals. One other really neat thing that I would like to point out about this game is that the scoring mechanic and the how the end game triggers is very unique. So in most games, you have like a normal scoring track, and you score a bunch of points, and whoever has the most points at the end of the game wins. Well, in this game, you have a scoring track for appeal. Basically, how many people are attracted or appeal or how many tickets you're selling to come to your zoo. And then you have a conservation track, which is how much your zoo is is contributing to conservation projects around the globe and around the world in trying to preserve and, and make the world better for animals. So, and what happens is when the those two tracks cross for any single player, that triggers the end of the game. And your score is then calculated by the distance between the two markers. So it's pretty easy to end up with a negative score, but it's also pretty, you know, if you can manage to get your markers to cross, then you're going to end up with a positive positive score at the end of the game. So it's just really a bunch of really unique mechanisms. There's, oh yeah, there's, by the way, there's just a touch of worker placement in this game, and there's some set collection in this game, and oh, resource management, you got to manage your money. Oh, there's just all these little mechanics are all thrown into this game, and it's really really well implemented. You know, if there was, if I had any anything that I would say is kind of my uh, after playing many many games of Ark Nova at this point is the fact that Ark Nova has this ridiculously massive deck, and sometimes you just can never you can't get through it to find the cards you need for a certain strategy or for a certain thing that your play style that you're trying to maybe go for. So you have to adapt your strategy kind of on the on the fly as the game deals you the cards. What do the rest of you think of this game? I think this game does... Please, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I think this thing does two, does two things really, really well that, that make me enjoy it. Uh, one is that you build a personal zoo that you have essentially designed yourself with these hex tiles uh, of different sizes and shapes and configurations. Uh, and so you actually have to build the, the, the enclosures where your, where your animals are going to live prior to um, bringing the animals in. And that customization and how you take up space in that board and how you position things, it's always going to be different each game, depending on, you know, what your goals are and what animals you're, you're kind of getting access to. And that, you know, I got, I built something cool at the end factor, uh, is is there which is was really nice um and then I, I you know the other thing that i like personally is that huge deck of cards that just has tons of tons of choices and options that to me that that gives a feeling of like discovery of like what's going to come up next like you know can i get something i'm going to be able to use or do i have to adapt my strategy you know on the fly like ben said so i like that there's all those choices in the deck uh and yeah just the fact that all those mechanics are just smoothly, smoothly integrated makes it a really well, well-made game. Yeah, I would agree. That I mean, that's it was my first time seeing it, and there was just 
it was not a hard thing to learn, but there's such a depth of strategy to the game. And you're, like Ben said, I mean, you have to be willing to adapt on the fly because the first, you know, round or two, I might be able to say, oh, I've got these three cards and I think they'll go really well together, but I'm really going to need this fourth or fifth card to, to make it all work. And, you know, after you get like five, six, seven more rounds in and you realize those cards aren't coming, you got to make a change. So um, it was a lot of fun for me. Um, like, like you said, Justin, just that coal, I'm building my own zoo and I've got this theme to it. And, you know, you, you can there, I, I mean, I felt like there were four different people sitting at the table and we were all focused on something different. And every one of our strategies was viable. Um, that's what I thought was really cool about how the game is kind of balanced because yeah, one person ultimately came out ahead, but I mean, if I'd had one more turn, I would have been pretty close to his score. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's like any game, right? The person who, who ends the game first probably has an advantage, but not necessarily with the way end game scoring's done. So. Yeah, this game is definitely interesting and it takes a few times of playing it before I felt like I really got it and could sit there and figure out what I needed to do but I still enjoyed it right away from the beginning so it's like with a whole different strategies there's also different maps that you can use so you can either have everyone playing the same map there's beginner friendly maps all the way up to more advanced and those kind of can also add to your strategy. So if you're not getting the cards, like Honzi was saying, like, hey, you're not, you have a per- certain strategy, like you want all large animals, and all of a sudden there's no large animals coming out for you to get. The strategy with where your faces that you're covering and building on on your board can also help mitigate some of that. So it's just there's so many different paths to it, and you don't always know who's going to win until you get, you know, pretty close to the end of the game. All right, that is Arc Nova from Capstone's Games. All right, next up, we can go from something I haven't played to something I did play and rather enjoyed it. We're going to talk about Star Wars Outer Rim. Um, pew, this pew. Is, uh, another, yeah, <laughs> another sound, uh, another game, Star Wars game brought to you by Fantasy Flight Games. I feel like there's kind of some similar themes in this game that I've seen in some of their other Star Wars games. Um, And a lot of things I like about this game is some similarities it shares with Rebellion. Um, But this is kind of more of a small scale. Um, It has more players. You can have one to seven players. And the game, instead of taking like at least half a day or so like Rebellion does, um, it's a bit quicker. Like two to three hours is probably about your standard play time. So, as the title kind of states, this game takes place in the Outer Rim. Um, What's happening in the Outer Rim? Um, There's probably some bounty hunters, some mercenaries, some smugglers. Um, So, you can play, kind of theme your character as any of those types of players, and you can try to kind of complete tasks to either, like, uh, deliver some legitimate goods around, you can smuggle some illegal goods, you can hunt for bounties, um, whatever, just be a hired soldier and complete some jobs for some people. Um, there's kind of whatever four factions in the game that are you can either kind of gain your favor with or 
you might find an enemy. There's, I think, the Huts, Separatists, and then, of course, the Rebels and the Imperials. Um, so the different jobs you do throughout the game can kind of, you can gain favor or lose favor with one. And what some of the things that I really like about this game is kind of just like the theme in the story that is like really heavy in the play. Like when you're going into some of these jobs, like they'll play out like kind of like an action sequence as you go, especially like the harder ones have more steps to them that you have to complete. So like first you'll, you'll have different skill roles and stuff like that, or you might have to fight some different enemies and stuff. And um, as you play through that kind of encounter, uh, it'll kind of shape what happens. And if you are successful at everything, or if you, like, you go wrong at any certain point, you might reach a certain end or penalty, depending on what happens. Um, so the, uh, I mean, that's kind of what you're doing throughout the game. The board is set up like the Outer Rim. Um, there's like eight or ten planets or so. Some of them are, you know, pretty familiar to most Star Wars people. Some of them I wasn't really sure about. You know, there's like Tatooine and um, I don't know if I can even remember. Like Kessel was a place on there. Um, kind of some other recognizable places that I'm forgetting right now. But you travel around to each of those planets. Uh, one of the things you can do is kind of there's a market uh, phase to your turn, and you can either like buy goods. Um, you start out with like a basic ship, and that's kind of your player board where you can kind of gain upgrades or add additional crew that'll help you throughout the game completing these tasks. And you can even buy new ships that'll allow you to have more abilities and just have more powerful ships to complete your tasks or get away from the uh, patrols that are out there looking for you, which you might cross paths with. Um. And I guess you're generally trying to kind of gain renown in the Outer Rim, kind of be the most famous, like, bounty hunter, mercenary, or smuggler, whatever you may be. Um, so there's not really a predetermined length to the game. It's kind of the first person who gets the most famous first will be the winner. Um, I know I played with Suzanne the other day, and uh, Ben, you also played it. I don't know if you guys have any additional thoughts. I'll say this is, like Brian mentioned, it is has similar feel a little bit to Rebellion. It does not take nearly as long. We played this for uh, our May 4th game day, which was fun. I, I felt a little bad because a friend of mine who is just starting to get into some more intense board games, this was her first experience um, with one of those. and But she's told me she had such so much fun playing it. And just exploring it. So even if you're not into the Star Wars theme, there's a bit of a pickup and delivery and a hunting memory type of mechanism as you're moving, you know, through the outer rim trying to find exactly what you need. So that's really nice. And I always forget that it actually takes as long as it does. So in my head, it's like a 30 minute game, but it takes much longer than that. <laughs> So I guess that means I enjoy it. <laughs> and Alconzi, what do you think of the game? So, so Outer Rims, I feel like the core game was very 
incomplete when we when we first played it. Uh, and and I say that because after we played it a couple of times, it started to feel repetitive with what you saw for like missions and things that you were encountering. And I felt like the 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 flair of the, the game that they got from the first player two kind of went away. Uh, that said, like the first player two, it was a lot of fun. It was a really good big. It was a really big blast. There was a lot of theme in it. A lot of like, hey, I'm trying to you know, oh hey, I had that. I remember that from the Star Wars lore, or I remember this from you know, or hey, I want to try to pair up Han with the Millennium Falcon and see if I can get Chewie in this game, but. Then there would be, like I said, it it started to feel the same, and it and it started to feel kind of predictable. And then we sat it on the shelf for a while. Then about a year or two, or a year, year and a half later, we got it out and just played it the two of us. And I was like, oh yeah, this that's that's what this game was was really good at, and it was a lot of fun. So I'm really glad to see that there's an expansion out for it. We don't have that yet. I've heard that that expansion resolves a lot of what I'm saying and describing and that was the core core game kind of just lost replayability after a couple of plays but I don't have any firsthand experience with that so I can't say for sure if that's actually the case but I can say that it you know is it while this is a highly thematic Star Wars game the box and the contents in the box I don't feel stand up well for replayability after two or three plays. I just think it starts to, it's a game of diminishing returns. Um, And it did, and it started to feel like the game was incomplete in the box. Like it, like it was, Hey, we designed it to this and this is the price point that we can include these components and we'll put an expansion out. If it sells enough copies later, that'll finish the game. And I think that's exactly what fantasy flight did. Um, that said, if you're looking for a shorter Star Wars game, or if you're probably like many of us that are on this show, and about the most amount of times you ever play a board game is two or three times, then take what I just said with a grain of salt. If you really want a thematic Star Wars game that's about bounty hunting and and being a mercenary out in the Outer Rim, this game captures that very well. No retorts. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that is Star Wars. I don't know. It seemed like you summed it up pretty well. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that is Star Wars: The Outer Rim from Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, go ahead and check out whiskadice.com for links to the games we've discussed. And while you're at it, please leave a review of the podcast wherever you download podcasts. Next, uh, we're going to roll right into the news. First first thing up, Gen Con event registration is open for anybody who is uh, aware of Gen Con. It's a, just a little bit of a gaming convention here in the Midwest. Uh, just so you know, uh, Wisco Dice, uh, Conzie will be running some games. Those games are currently sold out, but there will be some other opportunities to game play. Okay. There will be some other opportunities to play games with the Wisco Dice team at Gen Con. Uh, so Suzanne and Matt will also be there. So uh, you'll have at least three of us there. 
we'd love to meet up and play games with you. So hit us up on social media. Let us know where we can find you. And I would add to that that please, if you're interested at all, if you're at Gen Con and you're interested in in, in catching some open gaming with us or whatnot, that uh, watch our social media feeds. We may be posting to it throughout the convention saying, hey, we've got a few hours and we're in Hall B if you want to meet us here at table whatever. Uh, we're looking for players for a game. We might be doing that throughout the convention uh, as a way for some of you to out there to get an opportunity to uh, not only play a game with the Wisco Dice crew, or, but also maybe if you're just at Gen Con and you're hanging out and you got a, a time slot, that time slot fit up fits well with your schedule do you you might you know we will be for almost for surely i can't i have no, i can't speak for you matt but i say suzanne and i will be assuredly buying plenty of the new hotness at gen con i'm, I'm sure i'll get in on a little bit of that <laughs> <laughs> and i'm currently trying to keep my schedule open to try out these new games that we are finding and everything in the afternoons especially so definitely you know message us on social media and I'll be keeping track of the, checking that regularly so we can meet up with you and play some games. Um, next convention for us, well, not the next convention for us after Gen Con, but the one of the conventions here in Madison is a game hole con, which is at the Lion Energy Center. It's always in October. This year it is October 19th through the 22nd. For that one, both Konzi and I will definitely be running games, and I think a lot of the rest of the Wisco Dice crew will be there at some point, too. So if you are in the Madison area, October 19th to 22nd, definitely this is a great convention to check out. We have a lot of fun there every single year we've been there. All right. So then, Strong Tower Gaming Convention. We've just had the... Uh, Kevin on the show talking about the, about that convention not that long ago. I will be at the at Strong Tower Gaming Convention running games for both. I think the Friday and Saturday. I'm also hoping that I can not not only just run games, but that I can get in and play a few uh, through the convention. Uh, I will be there the whole time. It is from September 15th to September 17th at the Brookfield Conference Center. I'd love to. Uh, that's in Brookfield, Wisconsin. I'd love to see some of you there. And I'm really looking forward to hanging out and checking out this convention in its second year. Links to all the conventions uh, are going to be in the show notes for this episode. While we're talking about activities where Wisco Dice is going to be at, I do want to just remind everybody that the final Friday every month is the Misty Mountain Game Night. Woo! And uh, the June date will be June 30th. We start these things at 6 p.m., but just mark your calendars. Final Friday every month, that's Wisco Dice Game Night at Misty Mountain Games. Of course, you can also catch uh, catch and look for a Facebook event. Um, we're 70 or 80% good at getting those out there. Um, also, you can join the Misty Mountain Discord or follow us or jump into our Discord uh, for reminders or to confirm when these, uh, it, uh, to make sure that the what nights the Wisco Dice game night is and or uh, to confirm that it's actually happening, although we haven't missed one since it started, so there's that. Woot! 
Okay, last up in the news, uh, we're going to be talking a little about the uh, Spiel des Jahres. Uh, for some context, the Spiel des Jahres is a German board game award. It's been around since 1978, and every year they pick, uh, nominate games from uh, a couple different categories uh, to be game of the year. Uh, so this year's nominees uh, for Kinder Spiel des Jahres, which is the kids category, are uh, Carla Caramel, uh, Gigabon, and Mysterium Kids. I did not know that they had a, a kids version of Mysterium, uh, which I might actually th- consider picking yeah. up. Yeah, it just yeah, I came saw out. Yeah, a copy of that. Yep. Yeah, it's... yeah, might be That's a little bit easier <laughs> with the imagery, I hope. But... Um, uh, and then the next category is the Spiel de Jar, the... Uh, family-friendly category. So the the award was founded with the idea of promoting family-friendly board games. So these are maybe mid-weight to lighter-weight games. Uh, so the nominees this year are Dorf Romantic, which is happens to be a board game based on a video game, which is a uh, sort of casual city-building, landscape-building game where you put out these little, you know, cozy-looking villages and rivers and train tracks and things. Um, There's Fun Facts, which is a uh, party game for Repo's Productions. And then Next Station London, uh, which is a route-building, train, roll-and-write, paper-and-pencil-type game. Uh, And then uh, I think the one that probably matters the most to us these days is the Kennerspiel de Jar. So this is the connoisseur category where heavier games have a shot of getting picked. Um, and this year, the three nominees are Challengers, which is a uh, deck management capture the flag game where you can just have these wacky combinations of characters. You can have like a wizard and a, and a hero and a clown and all kinds of weird combinations uh, uh, of, of cards in your deck to capture the flag. Uh, and then we have... Uh, Planet Unknown, which you will know about if you've listened to Whisker Dice recently. Um, that That is one that we have played and had a good time with. Uh, it's a uh, terraforming game where you um, build st- uh, structures uh, on a planet and um, use rovers to roam the planet and pick up new resources uh, and ultimately try to build the best settlement you can on a, on a, on a planet. Um, and then last up is a game called Iki, uh, which is a strategy game set in feudal Japan. Um, I think the, the choices this year are kind of interesting. A lot of these games I had never heard of. Um, and, uh, you know, I think sometimes just the the taste of the of the, the people, the sort of panel of people who pick these is just a little bit different than, you know, what my taste would be in, you know, what, what are the hot games of the year and that kind of thing. But I am glad to see uh, Planet Unknown be nominated. I think that's really cool. I like that game a lot. Yeah. I, that is great. I, looking at the Kenner Spiel, other than Planet Unknown, I, I don't know any of these games. Yeah. <laughs> and this would not be... Although I, I could say, like, I know the publishers, like... Z-Man, well, of course, yeah. yeah Z-Man. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Sorry We Are French. Uh, they produced another game that we really like in the form of um, Ganymede. Uh, 
but yeah, Adam's seeing Adam's apples games here, uh, having uh, like those guys in, and Suzanne, you, you've met the publisher here at GameOlcon for Adam's apple. Can you imagine how giddy he is at this point? The fact that, you know, a game of his, a game from that publishing company is actually like this. We're talking about a tiny publisher. Yeah, that's relatively small. local, right? Yep, yep, they're up in Minnesota, I believe, and yeah, it was. It's not a big operation, or at least it used. To, it wasn't <laughs> when they were first starting out a few, a couple of years ago with some other games. They have like some food truck frenzy games, uh, which are a lot of fun too. But yeah, Planet Unknown just took off, and it's great to see that on here uh, with such a a nice game that has a little twist on the tile lane and terraforming mechanic. So I I will say, like the rest of you, I have not heard of any of these games except for Mysterium Kids and Planet Unknown, and now I kind of feel like I need to go and actually check them out and see what I've been missing. I mean, in a year with games like, and I mean, I don't know exactly how they pick or how the qualifications are to pick some of these games, but you'd think in a year where Ark Nova was out and uh, what's the... Uh, Paleo Americans. Yeah. Uh, that endless game came winter. out. It's endless huh? winter. Endless, yeah, endless, endless winter. winter. Americans, yeah. Yep. And a couple of other really strong titles come out, and you don't even see them. They're not even a blip here. Yeah, I think really what it comes down to is when they pick these games, they're really focused a lot. I think on accessibility. They they are still thinking of it as a family game, even for the connoisseur level. I think they they keep it in mind that it's you know, still a game to be played with a family. Um, and so they go for accessibility. They go for games that are easier to learn um, and aren't those, you know, heavier things that we tend to uh, gravitate towards a little more. Um, so I think that's that's the reason why mostly. But um, if, you, if you're looking for games uh, in the heavier category and their nominations, I think it, the awards to look towards is the Golden Geek Awards by uh, Board Game Geek. Those you're going to get your... Ark Nova's in there for sure. <laughs> uh, but that wraps up the news. All right. So long ago in a galaxy far, far away, there once was a segment called Hobby Corner. And you know what? We have enough people here that have been doing hobby that we actually brought it back. Yay! <laughs> Also, that segues into what I've been working on in the hobby, and that is Star Wars Legion. Oh, wait, that's not the normal Batman miniature stuff I normally talk about. Uh, So Star Wars Legion is by Atomic Mass Games, and uh, fairly recently, actually sometime, uh, I don't know, probably three or six months ago, they released Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, and Grogu, who is the (laughs) tiny, itty-bitty little miniature um for the game uh, and uh he immediately sold out like everywhere i couldn't find him anywhere when i finally went to go buy one and so but i just this past week was able to snag a copy uh, of the figures so i got them all built and based and i'm really excited to start paint painting mando and grogu grogu should take no time at all he's all of maybe if he's a full centimeter tall, I would be surprised. Like, he is not a very tall figure. Um, like, my grass tufts I'm a, I will put on the base might be taller than Grogu. It's kind of crazy. 
But also, just out, absolutely just out like this weekend, I believe, is Ahsoka Tano. And this is the Ahsoka from Star Wars Rebels. So the, the adult Ahsoka. Um, but not quite the... It's there. There's maybe some hints at Rosario Dawson in the face. But at this scale, you really can't tell. But it's a... Uh, it is definitely more of the adult Ahsoka, and I don't think it's the intended to be the Ahsoka from the Mandoverse. It's the Ahsoka from Star Wars Rebels. Um, and it's, yeah, super cool. Ahsoka is one of my favorite non-original trilogy characters. Uh, goes right up there with Mando. Uh, I loved her from the uh, Star Wars Clone Wars. I loved, I loved the character in uh, Rebels. And... Um, Super excited for the the for the Ahsoka series on uh, uh, in live action that's coming out. But now I've got a copy of Ahsoka that I'm really excited to paint and and get. And I might actually I, I posted in one of the local Star Wars Legion groups uh, just the other day. Like this is this might actually get me out of Star Wars Legion quasi retirement that I've been in for the last couple of years. You done? Yeah. Seems so. All right. Uh, well, I'll pick it up with uh, something familiar in my hobby corner, which is a Batman Miniatures game. I had just finished. It wasn't quite done uh, for the tournament we just had, but I had just finished the Bane, kind of the regular comic book Bane from the Overdrive box um, for the Soldiers of Fortune crew. So I think that's going to round out my hobby on the Soldiers of Fortune for the time being. I think I've been playing them for more than a year now, um, and I still don't have all the models uh, painted for them, but I'm ready to move on to something else, kind of get something more interesting and play a different crew. Um, and I have quite the pile of shame from the <laughs> few tournaments we've been to in the past year or so, but why would I want to build any of that stuff? And I bought a different crew for some reason. I think it was just what I was into at the moment and excited for. I had picked up the old uh, Watchmen crew, so it's, it's old old metal models. Uh, they still have current rules, at least. Um, so I've been working on assembling those. Um, it should have been pretty easy. Um, I guess uh, aside from Bubastis, which is uh, kind of Ozymandias cat, uh, there isn't actually a metal model that came with those guys it's only in like the new box so i ended up ordering like a 3d printed bobcat sculpt off of etsy i kind of uh modified it a bit with some green stuff uh, to give it kind of the big ears and actually like a long tail um, so that came out pretty good i did the ears a little different and wasn't super sure about it but i, I think it's good enough and um it'll do well on the table and then I made it a little more complicated again uh, with the comedian model. Um, the older one is armed with like a different gun. It's more like a riot gun, um, which is what his stats used to be. But the new model comes with a machine gun or a, alternatively a flamethrower. Um, 
I mean, I could have just played it the model as is, but I thought it'd be kind of a fun conversion activity. So I've set about um, giving him a flamethrower, even though I think the machine gun will probably be the better thing to play with. The flamethrower seemed easier to modify and convert on the model from kind of some basic materials and green stuff. Um, so I've been really working on that, and it's I feel like it's a kind of an iconic thing with the comedian too from some of like the movie posters because these old metal models are based on the movie versions of them and not the comic one like the newer box um i'm probably like halfway done converting the comedian i haven't actually worked on it much in a little while but just got back into it this week so i think if i get some solid time on it it'll be done pretty quick and then the last model i have to get together is ozymandias and uh like the rules have them on the bigger base uh, like the biggest like 60 mil i think it is um and he's just the single metal model so i kind of wanted something to fill the base a bit more um since the newer one has like uh throne and um who have asked us on it usually but i was trying to think of what i could do on his bigger base so having watched through the movie uh there's kind of one point towards the end um I can't remember the name of the kind of Egyptian theme place he's in, but there's uh, like a Ramsey's bust um, kind of behind him for part of that scene. So Ben helped me out and uh, 3D printed that statue. And so I just kind of kind of do it up with on the base and I'll have that sitting behind him, kind of take up some space. So uh, that should be a little easier. Um, finishing the comedian so hopefully i'll have these to the table sometime very soon because i'm really itching to play a new crew um, that sums up my hobby lately well i actually ended up busting out the paints uh recently i've been trying to very slowly work through the models uh the miniatures in my copy of mansions of Madness second edition so right now i'm working on the cultists uh, and these are basically just a set of, I think it's about six um, cultists in these sort of long robes. Uh, and, you know, cultists are, are all over the place in the Lovecraftian mythology. Um, and, yeah, and so I, I had this particular color scheme in mind that I wanted. I wanted them wearing these bright yellow robes uh, with maybe some red detail. Um, and uh, I think it was a bad choice. They, the, the yellow paint just seems impossible to work with. I can't get enough layered on. Uh, and then once I kind of got it to a point where I was okay with it, you know, I have to deal with these tiny little um, uh, faces on all these guys. And it's, I don't know, it just seems impossible. Like, no matter what I do, the, the paint goes in the wrong place. Uh, and it just looks like chunky and chalky. Uh, and oh, man, I've, this is the most I've struggled like with a with painting uh, since I kind of started. Uh, and I'm just they're sitting in a box right now, kind of half done because I just got so frustrated with them. <laughs> so Hobby uh, Corner, aka Help Justin, time. Yeah, no. So kidding. are you using your I, black primer? Yeah. yeah, it was black primer, so that's definitely the reason I have to coat mm-hmm, so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's all I had, but you know. So yeah, you can brush on secret. the base coat of white first. But. Or the secret to yellow 
is to start with like a tannish brown mm. and then do your yellow on top of that. Sure. And yeah, most, okay. most tannish browns or browns go over uh, black pretty well. And since you're doing flesh tones, guess what? That tannish brown would work right over the top of that. So you might just want to sweep the whole model with like a, a tannish brown, like almost a leathery brown. And yeah. then you do your yellows and save yourself some grief. Or, and I do that even if I'm painting uh, on a white primer as well. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's always interesting doing uh, painting specifically in miniatures because you don't always start where you think you would, you know, because it's yeah. like, there, and, it, and it is an experience thing. It just takes practice and it's been many years since I've done yellow. So even some of the stuff Ben said, I was like, man, I don't think that's the way I used to do it, but it sounds like a much easier way to get to where I want to go. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's like doing black. Black is such a nightmare, but it's like, there's about a hundred different ways to do black and it just depends on the effect you're looking for. So mm. biggest, biggest tip I've ever, I was ever given about black is when you look at nature, black doesn't actually exist. Yeah. Right. Nothing in nature is true black. So sure. when you paint black, think about the other colors that you see in the light spectrum on the object you are. Like a lot of things that we think of in black in nature that are black have purples or blues or maybe even really dark red tones in them. And so that's those are your those are the colors you're kind of painting and then bringing that natural highlight of that color a little bit further up. Um, another one that's really a, another big pain point for colors that you're painting is whites, right? Um, a lot of people have struggled with white, yellow, black, yellow, and white are like the three struggle colors. Mm. Whites, again, white's another color that doesn't, super occur in nature oftentimes it's a color that's there's hints of either a blue or pink or something like that underneath it so that can be your shading that you're bringing up is a really light shade of one of those or the other thing is you can work it up from grays yeah. Mm-hmm. so oh, yeah uh, there I'll, I'll get to finishing them eventually once i you know, uh, get the courage again to tackle them. <laughs> all, all, all I'm hearing is demo day for BMG for Justin, and <laughs> bring over the paint, the paint kit, and show them how to whip that, whip some yellow out really quick. <laughs> Hobby, yeah. day. <laughs> Hobby day, yeah, Justin. There we go. <laughs> I don't know if you have any tips for faces, Ben, but. That generally yeah, just seems like faces a small right. brush and like patience and some skill. Yeah, I think so. it, it's a skill thing. I think I just don't have enough control over the brush. Like it's just I'm putting on too much paint in a small area, like the eye or whatever. Right. And I maybe I have too much paint on the brush, you know. So that I think is mostly me not having the experience. I hope. Uh you know, in your paint yeah, appropriately. Like super tiny the brush appropriate brush. Faces yeah, too. I mean, I think yeah. for the faces, I was using double or triple zeros. Uh, 
just which that know, could be actually awful. harder than harder to use than a bigger brush because the paint dries out so quickly in the bristles. Mm, so you'd yeah, be like, hey, I got my br- paint really thin, and now, but then by the time I get it from palette to model, it's already dried in the brush. So sometimes I will add a, if I'm using a brush that small, I will add a little bit of, uh, what is it, the uh, flow aid. Uh, a flow aid, which allow, which mm-hmm. prevents it from drying as fast. Yeah. The other thing that I will do is I will overpaint the area, and then go in and bring in the colors over the top and the bottom of the of the eye area as a darker shade and a lighter, you know, the darker shade for for either of the flesh tone hmm. over the top of the white. Because if you look at a, if you particularly if you're looking at a human, you'll notice oftentimes, particularly under the with the way light works, that the flesh tone in those areas is a little darker, anyways. And then I'll bring up my like chin, my the top of the cheekbone, and the forehead. I will bring up in my original flesh tone, and that that already done gives me a natural uh, light. The other thing when you're doing eyes that you want to probably pay attention to is that don't try to hit if you're going to put a pupil in i generally at, at this scale i generally just use a little black dot and yeah. don't try to center it try to get it offset on both eyes to be very similar oh yeah um, Actually, anyway that makes a lot know, of sense everyone that ever tries to go for center, center yeah <laughs> they end up with like one that's that's looking in a weird direction and one that's center. <laughs> so if you just end up with two looking in the same weird direction, even if one's a little off, it looks much more natural and like you intended it. And it also that's actually makes it look a little more action posy, like, ooh, he's looking over there. What's going yeah. on over there? That's a great tip. That's awesome. Yeah, that's not cool. getting oh, oh. cross eyed is like the surest thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to just centered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, what, uh, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I have pretty hard water at my house. And, you know, we have a, 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 you know, water softener and all that kind of stuff. But, like, I wanted to ask if the, like, harder water or whatever, even softened water, could that affect, like, how paint responds if that's what I'm using on my wet palette? Like, should I be considering distilled water or something? In theory, that's probably true. I have never personally had that issue myself. Yeah, it's never been anything I've worried about. Um, Like, it's crossed my mind, like, not so much how the paint would, like, flow or like work but like i've always wondered like if it would affect the paint like at some far off time from now or something Mm. but i think you'd have to have pretty significant hardness for it to matter although like if it's in a wet palette where you're like you know water's kind of in there and drying out over the time i guess if you're seeing build up i would assume that's kind of a problem but i guess back when i haven't used a wet palette recently but I never noticed that when I 
let my web palette dry out many many times because it wasn't a very good one and I didn't use it very often. But I've always been curious about that too. I'll have to experiment, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to have to wrap it up for the help Justin paint better segment of the hobby corner <laughs> uh, for images of all of these hobby projects and things we've been working on. Feel free to hop on over to wiscodice.com for images of all of this stuff to kind of, so you can follow along with our hobby progress and, uh, and see the work that we're actually talking about so that, we, you know, we're not entirely just uh, talking about it. All right. And with that, we'll go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll get on to our main topic. Hey, folks, this is the Conesy of the Most. I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about Misty Mountain Games here in Madison, Wisconsin, where you can find CCGs, RPGs, board games, minis, paint and hobby supplies for your all of your tabletop gaming experience and needs. If you can't find it online, give them a phone call or swing on by their brick-and-mortar store uh, here on the east side of Madison. Don't worry. That is MistyMountainGames.com. Check them out today. So we've been uh, having a lot of interviews on the podcast uh, recently, and you know we want to just take a little time uh, this episode to kind of catch up with the Whisker Dice folks and what we've been doing. It's going on. What's going on with us? So recently, uh, it was my birthday uh, on May 11th, and so on the weekend, I asked Ben if he would host a board game day, and we had a big old board game day with a bunch of folks, and got to play a ton of cool, cool stuff, and it was yeah, great fun. Ben made some great drinks, and I think everybody had a great time. Um, but some of the the game highlights uh, from that, we all got to play Phantom Inc which is a mm, word-guessing game for two teams where one player on each team is the spirit who is attempting to get their team to guess a word that the two spirits have selected on a card. Um, both, both spirits are trying to get their team to guess the word. And the way that it works is that the teams will pass the spirit a card, which has some kind of question on it, like, what is it made out of? or what sound would it make or something like that? And the ghost gets to pick one of those and they start writing the answer to that uh, a letter at a time. And their team, as soon as they realize what the ghost is trying to communicate, tells them to stop writing. So the opposing team only gets to see as many letters as the ghost wrote and they do not know what the question was that was asked. So, But they're trying to use that information to figure out what this word is at the same time. So it's this neat kind of back and forth and like controlling and protecting the information that you have so that only your team understands what's going on with your words. Uh, and I, I, we played it with, gosh, how many? Uh, there had to have been people or something? Eight or, yeah, eight, eight or somewhere. There was a lot of people there here already when we started playing it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I did. I did not think it would work as well, that well. I think it seemed to work pretty great. I mean, it's it's something similar to like a code names, but you get to collaborate a little more with the people on your team to kind of decide like oh, what's the best question to ask? What can we get an answer for that we'll understand really quickly so the other team can't understand? Or, you know, how do we need to narrow down what this word is we're trying to guess? 
yeah, if you like code names, this is definitely a game yeah. that you'll like. And I'd happen to go back, like, this is a game that was uh, released at last year's Gen Con that we actually called out as being a game to watch for. And I love mm-hmm. seeing it keeps being brought up and more and more as people discover this because it's from a smaller publisher that does, I think this is probably now their biggest title. And yeah, it's it's totally worth checking out if you're looking for a really good social word deduction game. This gives you, I think, both both everyone at the table feels that feeling that the spy master does in Code Names because you're there's yeah. there's that constant kind of uh, oh man, am I giving away too much information? Did I give them too little? Oh crud! Did I sabotage us? Kind of thing. Every and everybody feels that way. Yeah, I would definitely recommend picking this up. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I like it better than code names for sure. Like, I was going to say, I appreciate like the question cards. So, like, you don't have to think like about something so particularly, I guess, if that makes sense. Like, you have limited options. Like, code names, I guess you guys know from playing games with me. Like, if you're trying to like find, you know, one clue to like match every single one and not match the other, it can be kind of. Like, uh, I don't know, it just could be kind of hard to, you know, come up with something quick enough. So I feel like I never like being the, uh, whatever, the clue giver person, just because it always ends up kind of stalling if I have to think about something that hard. So having the questions made it feel kind of quick. And I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe it was just because it was new, but I found it a lot more interesting than code names. And generally, I don't really like party like I, I don't know i would include this in like a party game yeah. uh, category for myself and generally i have very little interest in those but like this one i like really enjoyed so nice yeah no it's it's a great game and definitely has gotten some traction because i've seen copies of it at like barnes and noble they found some good distribution so you can you can pick it up let's see what else did we do i uh we got to play uh I got to play Great Western Trail. Uh, it's an Alexander Pfister game, um, one of his best. Uh, it's a game where you travel across the Southwest with a herd of cattle and sell them in Kansas City and make a bunch of money and then loop back to Texas and do it again. It's got the kind of classic Alexander Pfister rondelle thing where you kind of cycle through the map. It's Western themed. It's We played it with the expansion, which provides a whole bunch of other cities where you can deliver cows to. The game is sort of a, a deck builder. You build a hand of, of cows with certain values, and the higher your value is, the more you can sell them for when you get to sort of the end of the rondelle. You can have your kind of train on a track determine how far out from Kansas City you can go to sell your cows that turn. You know, if you can get all the way to New York, you're doing really good. And it's a longer game. With, I mean, it took us, I think, a good three hours to play. I don't know if any of you guys have played that one, but. It's a it's a really good strategy game. You guys played what Foundations of Rome? Among other games we played during that window, but yeah, Foundations of Rome was yeah. played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you guys were just playing forever. Yeah, that was uh, a lot around the main table. So yeah, at some point we ended up having like three games going at once. I think Ark Nova was going on one table, and yeah, I, I was playing Ark Nova on the other one. So yeah, yeah so there's there's games going on everywhere. So yeah, no, we had a throw it at another table and and get uh and and get foundations of rome which is a 
I would say it's it's a interesting tile laying game where you're acquiring districts and placing these instead of like cardboard tiles, you're placing these giant polyhedral monuments and structures and buildings that are basically you know building Rome. So you're, you're the foundations of Rome effectively then become that some of these buildings will get replaced by larger buildings because you want to reuse the space that you maybe placed a smaller building on earlier in the game. And so it's a very a very interesting uh, kind of like I said a tile layer slash slash economic there's a little bit of an economics there with trying to raise money. There's only one resource in the game and it's money and you're only ever spending money on buying plots of land for whatever reason it doesn't cost you anything to build any of these structures you're building yeah so you're you're constantly trying to kind of manage those plot you know purchasing the right plots and you can only ever have eight plots purchased on the board at any given time before you have to i think it's eight anyways before you have to build something so you can't just sit there and buy plots all the time too you have to build it's yeah, it's a really cool, interesting game. I mean, the biggest thing is I don't think it would be nearly as cool or nearly as fun if it didn't have these giant three-dimensional buildings that replace the cardboard tiles. Like, Suzanne and I played through My City, which is, I think, has a very similar feel, but it has just cardboard chits that represent the various buildings that are in these various districts, and they're just kind of meh. <laughs> Like I don't feel like I'm building a residential building or a or a factory building in that game. It's just like, oh hey, I built a blue tile or a red tile. I don't even feel like I built a city. Whereas when you get done looking at the board and foundations of Rome, you're like, yeah, we built that. That looks cool. Yeah, it always it always just looks really really neat when that game's out. When that game's out, it's a looker. Definitely. Yeah, it's a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful table presence game. Yeah, um, I mean, all in all, I think the it was a great, just an awesome day of board games, and I thank you for uh, le- lending me your gaming space for the purpose. It was awesome. Well, well, thanks for getting older because it was a blast. And what, <laughs> what was the last you played that night too? I don't even. I remember. Having, oh, uh, I remember villagers. Playing yeah. it, I just don't remember. Yeah, that was a lot villagers. of fun too. Yeah, that's a neat one. Card drafting, you sort of build these chains of workers that build up the amount of money that you're going to earn each round. And you kind of have to unlock, you know, certain, certain, certain workers with other workers, like the miner unlocks, you know, the blacksmith and that kind of thing. We started what noon and kept going till I don't know, it was pretty close to 10 ish before finally the last table bailed and everybody went home. So that was a great day. We need more, uh, more birthdays, Justin, so we can do that more often. (laughs) Well, I only get one a year, so, uh, damn it. (laughs) all right so with that we then i think a weekend or two later had uh, a little bmg tournament here in uh, at noble knight games uh, bat match 350 Uh, i had organized this one because one of the local players was kind of pushing me like hey when's gonna be the next event i'm really excited to play and I want to play in my first tournament and, you know, in my first BMG tournament, he plays lots of other miniature games. And then as it turns out, he couldn't make it. 
we actually, a lot of people couldn't make it, so it ended up being just a really small event. I think we had four official participants, and then Suzanne and I, to kind of mix it up, Suzanne and I played ringers in the first round to kind of make sure that the second and third round, it it was mixed up a little bit, and it wasn't just everybody playing everybody. Yeah, I, I think it worked out really well. Folks had a good time. I mean, I had a, a great time pl- getting a chance to play the game in the first round, and if my results would have counted towards the tournament, it was a solid draw against Mr. Freeze crew and, and Brian Giese's particular crew that he had brought that day. It was a very cool game, so to speak, Mr. Freeze. Uh-huh. But it was cool to actually draw Mr. Freeze because I have so far not been able to figure out how to beat that crew. And so or to even get to a draw. So watching my bat family be able to do that well in a game, I was kind of just playing really loose and just throwing things at him. Like, ah, I don't care. I'm going to lose any, I mean, technically this counts as a loss. So I'll just throw things at him. I'm like, Oh, Hey, that worked actually pretty effectively. <laughs> yeah. I was actually a player that day. I was going to comment that it would have been interesting if uh, his game was actually scored. Cause that would have made three draws for him all day, which is kind of funny. I had played him in the, Second round, um, no offense to the other players in the tournament. They're all pretty new, but like he was probably the most challenging one. He's a, become a pretty skilled player with the freeze crew pretty swiftly. Like I did well in the game. I managed to score like in my first two games, like I scored pretty much my whole deck, like in probably two and a half turns or so. That game against my the freeze crew in the second round, they've also been like a tough one to beat for me. And usually it's just a, you know, who could score the most cards. Um, I guess maybe, luckily for me, it was a draw this time. At previous tournaments, you know, I've lost by like one or two points, which is kind of disappointing. And I haven't quite figured out what to do against them. And I guess I learned and kind of regretted I should have like focused more on like keeping him from scoring or doing more defensive stuff throughout that game. Because after I like scored my cards, I was like really focusing on hoping to score the last two or so I had in my hand, but it was kind of out of my control, and then I wasn't really focused on what he was doing, which I could have, like, you know, tried to take out more models of his, or, like, be more conscious of things I was doing to either help him score, or things I could have done to prevent him from scoring. So, I feel bad I missed out on that opportunity, but we fought to a draw. Um, my first round, I had picked up a win against Cole. He's another recently joined player. Um, I did win that game, but he had a really respectable score. He's been trying to figure out the Batman crew, and I think he's kind of locking it down. Uh, he had a pretty good score in like the 30s, so it was one of his higher scoring games. So he was pretty satisfied with that, even though like I scored quite a few of my cards to take the win. It was a pretty fun, silly game. Like He was playing the classic Batman and Robin and some other cops and stuff, and uh, uh, Bane in the Bane in the Soldiers of Fortune crew, you give some guys handcuffs, and I actually had arrested Batman and Robin in the game, which was pretty amusing. Um, although it didn't score me any points, um, so I had started with the win, and then after drawing Brian, uh, was still kind of in contention, which what would happen in the last round. And I uh, played Tyler. Uh, he gets to some of the tournaments, but he doesn't really live close by, so. He's not a really regular player, so I don't know the last time he played, because I don't think he 
played at Adepticon, so it might have been way back at like Renegade or something like that. So he probably had some rust, and it had been, even though it was just a three-round day, it had been kind of a long day. So um, he had kind of thrown his Batman in early to keep me from scoring a card, but then the next turn he kind of got jumped by like three of my models, which took him out, and I think that kind of soured the game for him after kind of being tired and not feeling like he was doing that well. So he ended up conceding the game when we were only like one and a half turns in or so. So I was a bit worried how the tournament was going to work out since I didn't have a chance to score very many of my cards yet. But uh, luckily, Brian had drew the last game. So picking up the win in the final round secured the tournament for me. And I got initial pick of the prizes, but everybody got to go home with a couple things. So it was a pretty great time. Like most Batman tournaments, get to play a bunch of games and usually get a pretty decent amount of prizes. So thanks, Ben, for organizing that. I for sure look forward to the next one. Yeah, so everybody should look forward to anytime there's a BMG tournament. Like we talk, we were talking a little bit off the episode, not when we weren't recording, but. Like, yeah, sure, there's the competitiveness of a tournament, but it seems like every Midwest tournament there is, the Adepticon ones, the the ones I run, the ones that are up in Minneapolis, I'm tur- the tournaments that are at the Las Vegas Open, like the prize pools for these events, like everybody walks away with, like, oh, hey, the entrance fee was 20 bucks. Well, here's like $80 in models. Have, you know, thanks for coming today. Or, you know, it's it's always kind of crazy like that. So thanks to all of those different organizers, they've really inspired the scene to to ensure that, well, if you're running a tournament, this is kind of the standard now. So fortunately, I have my own ways to to help supplement the prize pools for those for those that are coming locally. But, yeah, it's it's a yeah. Show up at BMG tournaments just to walk away with more product than uh, the, you know. It, yeah, it might be a little random, but hey, your your entry fee and you're walking away with more stuff than than you could have bought with your dollar. That's always a good thing. And you got to play th- three or four games in a day. Can't argue with that. But I think in Tyler's defense in in that game too, I might I might have put a little more pressure on him too going into the round and going on pressure on everybody because I. Yeah, at that point, when I was looking at the scores, it was at, at the start of the round. It was all, basically anybody's tournament because the other two players had a buy and got the the buy win automatically in the first round. They were right there neck and neck. Tyler would have happened to have beaten you, Brian. I think it, you know, it would have been just crazy to see who might have won <laughs> that thing because then, yeah, if Tyler beats you and. Brian and and Geesey beats Cole. I think Geesey walks away with it. If Tyler beats you and Geesey draws or, or draws or loses, then Tyler walks away with it. So it worked out the way it was. But yeah, it could, it, in that round, it was it could have fell three yeah, different ways. So. And I was worried about it. I was actually I've been wanting to chat with Cole because I think he actually helped uh, Geesey from scoring like a lot. Like, they still had a draw, but I think he actually seemed to keep up scoring as much as he did in some of the other games. So I was curious if he did anything particular with that, since 
I haven't been good think, at doing that. Well, <laughs> I, I think it's too. What I've observed when it talk when you're playing Mister Freeze, it's don't put suspects down and yeah, reveal do. their suspects. Like, usually, I'm pretty good at that, but I wasn't. That was some of my later mistakes in there. I left some out I should have picked up. But yeah, that definitely seems to help to have less suspects out there. Yeah. Well, that was the Batmatch 350. All right. So I think that pretty much wraps it up for today's episode. We've talked about uh, the things we've been doing, including the Batmatch 350, that which was for the, the Man Man miniature game. We talked about Justin's birthday and how much fun we had playing Phantom Inc. and Great Western Trail and Foundations of Rome and crud. I can't even think. I still can't remember the other game, and I liked it. <laughs> Villagers, yeah. Villagers, yeah. That game was fun. I want to play it again. You know, and then we caught up on the news. We caught up on hobby. We caught up on all sorts of stuff. So catch out what, you know, if you want to interact with us more, join our Discord. If you want to see more from us, you can always hop over to our YouTube channel and catch us there. And of course, thank you so much for, for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts. Oh, and by the way, give us a like on our Facebook page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest while you're at it. If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at whiskodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Oh, darn. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Whiskodice.com. That's right, it's whiskodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out.